0: I mean, this is a fucking banger. This is a noobs in space song. We are, of course, me and Rob, as always, are joined today by, I'm going to say, a legend in the game. uh, Or a growing legend, for sure. Uh, His name is John Fanning. He is the CEO, founder, I don't know, president, whatever you want to say. He can probably explain that better. Of Zelgor. Um, it is a company that I believe you can still invest in. Is that right, John? Can you still invest in Absolutely. uh, Go to invest.zelgor.com.
1: smash that invest button, and you too can become a shareholder in the absurdity that is Zelgor and the noobs for sure. And president, CEO, living legend, whatever you want to call me is totally fine with me.
0: Yeah, I am, uh, I'm an investor, um, and of course, we also have Rob with us. Hi, how are you? <laughs>
2: well said. That's me. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk to you and listen. Listen in with John here. Uh, it is cool shit he's got going on. He's 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 an innovative guy. You know, he's doing stuff that I've never thought of and making money in ways that I think is new in general as well. Fundraising things like that. So it should be pretty cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, just a little background on how we know John. Uh, We met in college, all three of us, actually, as it were. Um, And even back then, I remember John hustling occasionally on the phones, trying to get investors for this new company that we knew little about. I mean, for the longest time, it was just this little dream that I think he had in his head. And I mean, the really, the way I want to start this out is just really, in general, ask you what got you into this field yeah, that you're I think currently
1: in. It was mostly a, a borderline irresponsible love for video games growing up. I, like I imagine both of you were as well, played video games probably too much growing up. I played a lot of Halo, a lot of Call of Duty. Uh, I dabbled a little yeah. bit in World of Warcraft, which I don't know if either of you two were, were familiar with, but... I played uh, too much World of Warcraft, but I learned a tremendous amount about games and virtual immersive worlds. And that was the first time I was like, it would be so awesome to build one of those. And I, you know, but for me, above all else, I played a ton of my Game Boy growing up. I grew up going to school an hour away from where I lived. So I was playing my Game Boy to and from school every day. So by the time the iPhone came out, I was like, oh, man, it's a a cell phone, a Game Boy, and one device. You know, the games in this thing are going to be amazing. And when I saw the types of games that were blowing up on smartphones, it inspired me to get into the space and, you know, try to build something that I felt like was sort of more up to the potential of what I thought the space could be. And uh, we'll see if that was a good idea or not. I think uh, <laughs> you know, the jury's still out yeah. on that one.
2: well Uh, i I think
0: you're you're on the right track matt go ahead uh i just want i mean on that kind of note like at what point i mean when you went to college you majored in business i know and at what point did you really think you were going to get into the game development sphere or was that something you had before you got into college that was a goal or like when you got like Sophomore year or something? Did you get more interested in it? Like, at what point did you really start forming? Well, I was uh, in a very
1: unique position growing up. My dad and my cousin Sean were the co founders of Napster, and that happened when I was literally in first grade. So, uh, you know, I had a very unique perspective uh, of obviously like a very transformational company. So I saw like the power of entrepreneurship and I saw success at, you know, the highest level. And so I figured, oh, man, that seems really easy. Just start a company, you know, become the fastest growing company on the Internet. And, you know, boom, you're you know, you're off and running from there. Um, But so I knew I knew I wanted to make games. I had an idea for a specific game. I played the board game Risk a lot, like way too much growing up. And I remember being fascinated <laughs> oh it break, yes you break absolutely a lot of stuff, i mean God especially like stuff. i was in a very competitive family so you know my dad would roll six after six and it's like you just want to flip the table over so it, there was definitely some some rage there that fueled my my entrepreneurial spirit uh I just thought it would be so cool to build a game like that, but like on top of the, the GPS capabilities of your phone, where you're like actually walking around and taking over places that you knew and you care about. So I sort of had that idea in my head going into college. I knew that I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. So uh, I certainly had the, the foundations in my head, but it didn't really all start coming together uh, until probably around my sophomore or junior year when I was accepted to Draper
0: University. Wait, you? what do you, are you, elaborate? When did you, yeah, that is definitely news <laughs> to both of us, I think. <laughs> yeah.
2: What is Close. Draper,
0: is Dom Draper?
1: Yeah. Close. Tim Draper, like he's like one reference? of the world's largest uh, holders of Bitcoin. And one summer I got accepted into his uh, business school for entrepreneurs. He had actually just started the school. The school is now much bigger now, much more prominent Uh, They've had a number of different uh, amazing companies come out of it. And I was lucky enough to be in the inaugural class back when clearly the bar was low enough where somebody like I could get into it. And uh,
2: Tim and I... But you could also make the argument that there were oh, less yeah. spots, right? There were less spots, so you were even. Yeah, in an yeah. Upper I'm about to press. hire you to be
1: my PR yeah. guy, Rob. That's a great point. That there were very few spots. I was one of the. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of the select few, on, <laughs> uh, who was who had the honor of going there, and it, it was great because it was the first year of the program. So Tim himself, he was so heavily involved. I mean, he was there every day, and I just had an amazing opportunity to really. Pretend to be a venture capitalist and sit on his side of the table. And it was so funny to me because these companies would come in to pitch him. Uh, and first of all, most of them had no idea that Tim uh, was going to then put them in front of a room of 35 people, all extremely eager to impress him, uh, trying to ask the most difficult questions we could possibly think of. And there were people much smarter than I was there guys who you know went to Stanford and Caltech and all these amazing schools so when they tried to ask a really hard question it was like you know light years beyond my ability to comprehend what they were saying and so it was a really uh, you know in a lot of ways maybe unfair situation to put these entrepreneurs in but it really taught me so much about like the level of preparation you need when you go in uh, to pitch a guy like Tim and, and what somebody who has been I mean, astronomically successful in their career. You know, what is it that gets them excited about a company? What is it that they like to invest in? Uh, So, I learned a tremendous amount from that experience, and it was a it was a four week program at the time. So, uh, yeah, I was in and out. You know, in one month over the summer. So, you guys didn't even notice I was gone because, from your perspective, I wasn't gone. I I was like I had never left. Uh, And Tim wound up becoming our first uh angel investor in our company as a result uh, of my time there and we really bonded over our mutual love of the board game risk wow. it just so happens that he considers himself to be the risk master which both is his willingness to make risky investments in startups but also because he <laughs> literally is a master of the board game risk so i just you know we bonded over our our competitiveness our love of games uh, and that was really what got us off and running and, and set us down this path of absurdity that we're on now.
2: That's amazing. That's an amazing story. You are loading me up with ammo here for questions. I have so many questions. I'll just start with one. First of all, that's super cool. I think Matt and I, based on our extended pause, we were staring at each other here through the cameras. Did not know you did that. No, it no awesome. chance. So that was- Summer between yep, software so engineers, the college, year before right?
1: that we came back and won the ACC in basketball in improbable fashion.
2: <laughs> <laughs> a good way, yes, it's a very good way to judge time and space. I like that. Um, so that it awesome. was Where in was an
1: abandoned hotel in San Mateo, California. So what? So yeah, Holy he, shit, he oh, bought I the buy hotel. He, like, buy the hotel. He or bought the space across the street from the hotel. Uh, which he has since turned into an incubator and the hotel, it's now a boarding school. So they've got like the classes uh, on the bottom floor. And then, you know, they've got the hotel rooms all done up for the students. And Tim actually bought like the entire state's worth Jesus, of whiteboard paint and just like painted the walls and whiteboard paint. So you could write like literally everywhere. Uh, and I'm sure the whole place is covered in it now. But when I was there, they, they had only had enough for that's like two amazing. or three floors at the time. Like the state of California literally ran out of this stuff because he just bought it all. So uh, yeah, it was awesome. I had a, a nice hotel room for like,
2: well, well, you know, Matt. No, it's okay. Oh, that's incredible. I'm sorry. I cut you off. I thought I'm on a bit of a lag. I think Matt, yes. a big paint guy.
0: Yeah. Imagine well, if he though. got
2: the contract, or all that white whiteboard paint. Oh man, lives would have been changing upside down over here.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'll say on that note, if I had gotten that contract, I would have gotten a hell of a lot more bonuses because that whiteboard paint is not cheap. I have sold it. I know exactly which product you're talking about. Um, and it's actually not manufactured by uh, Sherwin Williams. Fuck it. I don't care if I say their name here. Um, That's, that's where I mad. used to work.
2: Very cathartic. Uh, very. Cathartic. Uh, uh,
0: but yeah, it, I would have I would have made a lot of money if I got that that Tim contract for sure.
2: Well, this isn't about you, Matt. So uh anyways, John. <laughs> um <laughs> that I, off, I'm so Fuck off. By fuck off. <laughs> nice. That is so fucking cool. So can we I would love to play maybe us four. It with he'd be the foursome. We need to play Risk, you know. Oh Whoa.
0: yeah, we got it. I
2: I am. This is a side story. I once, someone once pulled my girlfriend aside and asked if I abused her because wow. of my behavior during Risk.
0: I, she thought <laughs> oh, I was wow. so
2: violent because of my behavior <laughs> during a game of Risk. She literally pulled my girlfriend aside and asked if she what was, was okay and if I hurt her. <laughs> and she was like, "No. <laughs> He's just really fucking angry at Risk." <laughs> I, I threw a die. I whipped one of the die into my refrigerator. So clearly, the refrigerator dented it. What
1: we learn from that story is this individual who approached Alexis clearly has <laughs> never played the board game Risk before. Otherwise, she would know.
2: Yeah, there you she go. go. Otherwise, she would playing. know the
1: because the, yeah. the game takes yeah. so long, and it gets so so tedious with the yeah. dice rolling, and then. There's a lot of, of, of politicking back and forth, negotiation, trying to convince people to attack each other, and when it doesn't go your way, I mean, you want to fire a dice at the fridge. Yes. So I totally understand.
2: Exactly, exactly. Oh my god, that is such a cool story. So he yeah, was, yeah. I mean, first aside from like you know my well.
1: dad, who was my first you know sort of supporter and and the one who helped me sort of put all these pieces together. But yeah, Tim was the first. Like, yeah, first exactly, exactly, outside. and and. It was funny because, you know, Tim and I, we bonded over our love of the board game risk. But the game that we played together more frequently was this game called Death Ball. And in this hotel, uh, as most great luxurious hotels do, it had a pool. And we had a basketball hoop set up in the pool. And Death Ball was a game that Tim played, uh, I think, fairly regularly. I don't know how often you could play this game, but it was essentially pool basketball with no rules. So, you could like scratch, you could claw. It was a a very violent game. Uh and it was one where, you know, I'm a I'm a rather lanky individual and the water is the great equalizer. So, I've got these, you know, sort of long arms and I'm able to like boa constrict myself around the ball in the water and just really be a nuisance and so uh, I quickly, you know, climbed <laughs> the the ranks of deathball players, and I think that was really when I first got Tim's attention
2: uh, in the program.
0: Nice, <laughs> huge.
2: That's huge. Yeah, that is huge. Deathball. I, I, I'll tell you what though. I, based
1: on your competitive spirit, I bet that you would have an absolute blast. Well, I mean, we literally we had a guy.
2: The thing is, oh, yeah. I can't it do
1: it. That I didn't really know anyone. Uh, we had a, we had a guy. A guy came out of the pool and looked like he got mauled by a tiger. He had, like, scratch marks all over his chest. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a big guy. He could take it. Big Steve, we called him.
0: Holy um,
2: shit. Okay, that's fine. Oh, big, big Steve. Big shut Steve. up. Big, big Steve is perfect for death
0: ball. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned that obviously uh, your dad and Tim were some of your first investors. How how did you get those early investors, and what were you selling them on at the time? As far as you know, it was obviously a baby company that I mean, honestly, didn't have a product at the time per se. You just had a, a vision. So, what did you do to get investors? So, it's at a, that a time? good
1: question. I think there's multiple ways to answer it in general. You know, what I tried to sell investors on. Is the vision, you know, what we were looking to do. I tried to sell them on, you know, the opportunity in the mobile game space in general. So you're talking back then; it was 2012. So I'm saying things like, "Look at Candy Crush, look at Clash of Clans; these games just came out. Now all of a sudden, these companies are worth uh, billions of dollars." Uh, but what I ultimately learned is, at that, that stage, what people are going to invest in more than anything is the people. You know, Tim wants to invest in people that he believes in. And I think ultimately, no matter what your company is, what you're doing, Mm -hmm. who the investor is, you know, investing, buying, selling stocks, it's all driven by emotion. And people want to invest uh, in people that, you know, they have an emotional connection with and they believe in. And so uh, I think that was a big part of it. You know, I was in a space that was big enough to, to be interesting to a guy like Tim uh, and I was able to form a connection with him, uh, and that was a big part of I think what laid the groundwork for him ultimately becoming our first investor. and And again, you know I in week one, Tim never in a million years would have invested in my company and what we were doing. You know, I had to go through the whole program. I had to learn about you know how he thought about things, his approach to it. I, you know I had to become a better entrepreneur. And so by the end of the program, uh, you know we were able to sort of get him over the finish line, and he actually came up to me and said, "Hey, you know, stay in touch because you know, we want to fund you, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I, you know, I didn't know what to say. It was, uh, it was amazing. So yeah. I guess so. So that's you know, that's in general. How do you get someone to invest in your company, right? The other part of your question, how do you like find investors? You know, that one's really hard to answer. And I, to be honest, I think the best answer is LinkedIn. Uh, you know, using like second, third degree connections, finding mm-hmm. people that you know, and finding people that. You want to know, uh, and just figuring out you know how to get to them, and sort of networking your way there, and uh, that's probably like the best tool I think for raising capital is just like posting what you're doing on LinkedIn in general, but then also like trying to make connections and and meeting people.
2: That's awesome. So is that that's what you're doing nowadays, investor wise? That's kind of it's an ongoing. I'm assuming ongoing process. Never oh, really that's stops. That's the worst right? part. And, and-
1: I was that's be the my worst next question. part about C- being a CEO. I realized like, I got into the space because I wanted to make games. I wanted to make amazing products. And then I become the CEO of the company. And it's like, oh, no, you're actually your number one job is to go out and raise money. And it's like, oh, no, that's like the hardest part. So that's, you know, it's a lot of connecting with people on LinkedIn. Uh, with net capital, though, it's really been amazing because... I have so many people who have invested in our company, you know, we're at close to a thousand people now who have invested, bought Zelgore stock at 50 cents a share. And most of them are people that I've never met, never spoken to. And that's just way better than meeting with people in person, spending, you know, days, weeks, months, building relationships (laughs) with them. Um, So that, so from that standpoint, this method of raising capital is, is, you know, more advantageous from that perspective. But uh, the other side, it, you know, you can't neglect the other part of it too, because my mentality has always been, you know, I just have to sort of assume that no one is going to put a dollar into our campaign unless I, you know, build a relationship with them and convince them to do it. And so anytime that doesn't happen and someone just comes out of the clouds to, uh, you know, go to invest.zelgor.com and click the invest button. Uh, I'm always tremendously appreciative. So it's, it's, you know, doing all the stuff that I was, Traditionally taught how to do, like I said, connecting with people on LinkedIn, meeting people in any way that I can and building a relationship with them, telling them the story. Uh, But then on top of that, just making it as easy as possible for anyone to invest uh, by clicking the button. So it's changed over time.
0: Absolutely. Um, So obviously, we've mentioned, I think I mentioned capital at the top of this and going forward. How did you get involved with Net Capital, and can you just explain for the listeners what uh, Net Capital is? Great, great question. Matt. So I was thinking the same it thing. It all
1: started with fellow Miami Hurricane graduate, class of 2014, uh, Jason Frischman. Actually, started out as my intern uh, the summer after I uh, <laughs> oh, closed wow. Tim Draper. I had to go out. And find other investors to sort of surround him with and do our first sort of friends and family sort of pre-seed round, Uh, which was intimidating for me because it was like, oh, man, like my first investor I ever closed is like, you know, the best investor you could possibly get in your deal. Uh, And I am very inexperienced as an entrepreneur. (laughs) I have so much to learn at this point. Uh, And so... Jason did a great job of helping, you know, coming in as an intern and just sort of helping me get organized and and get all the things in, in order. And, uh, he did a lot of the, the early sort of grunt work on LinkedIn, which helped us learn like the best way to leverage it as a tool to meet potential investors. And so, uh, with Jason, it was like best case scenario. Like we had one meeting with a potential investor and there were a couple of investors in the room. And they all said yes after like the first meeting, and it was like, oh wow, this is you know clearly in the beginning of my entrepreneurial career, I was like, oh this is all this is so easy, yeah, going to be a billionaire easy. In no time. Um, and so, so the pro, so we get these guys <laughs> to agree. We put together the paperwork. We go back and forth negotiating on terms, and we spent like an entire summer just going back and forth with these investors on like just sort of very you know, mostly trivial details and, and, and transactional things. Uh, and so we like started these conversations in June. We closed them eventually in August is when we finally received the checks from these guys. Um, and I was like, yes, like, this is amazing. Let's go. Like, we just raised $250,000, uh, you know, to, to build mobile games. Uh, but but Jason, he had a totally different background. He came from the world of neuroscience. He was a neuroscience major. So he was used to things just like sort of working and being super efficient. And oh. so he looked at it as like, wow, that was an extremely inefficient process. And surely there must be a way for technology to, to facilitate this and make all of it infinitely easier. So he took his experience, you know, helping us raise money at Zell Uh, and he went on, uh, to take advantage of the jobs act in my, my Apple watch is yelling at me, uh, he went on to take advantage of the Jobs Act, uh, which went into effect, I think, in 2016, uh, which suddenly allowed companies to sell stock in their business over the internet. And he built a funding portal, which is registered with the SEC. And that funding portal essentially facilitates people buying stock in private companies. So, what I do with Zellgore is I say to Net Capital, hey, I'm willing to sell you know, X number of shares at Y price. I think we did our first offering at 25 cents a share. So we said, we're willing to sell a block of shares at 25 cents a share. And anyone who wants to can invest in a lot of ways. It's like going public. And we did that uh, for the first time back in 2017, when we first Mm -hmm. came up with the concept for the noobs, because when we first started hanging out, I mean, the noobs weren't on my radar at all, Though they came way later. Uh, After I learned like, oh, wow, like, you know, there needs to be a story here to this game that actually gets people even remotely interested. You know, all the best games have that emotional connection. You know, I always think of Pokemon, right? Mm -hmm. Like my dream at at 10 years old was not to start a game company. It was to be a Pokemon master, right? Like, like we all felt. Um, (laughs) So so that was how <laughs> I got into net capital was we, we came up with the idea for the noobs. We were like, you know what, let's like see if anyone cares about these creatures or are interested in these aliens. And we had like 150 people invest 50 or so came from people that I knew, but over a hundred were people I had never met before, uh, which I, as I previously stated is a great way to raise money. So we saw that and we were like, Oh man, like this is really cool. So we took that money and we worked on the noobs IP. We further integrated it into what we were doing and, uh, before you know it, we had two games in development under the Noobs IP, uh, and we went back on Net capital a second time uh, to announce our second game and, and show off all our progress and allow even more people to, you know, join guys like Tim Draper and, and become early investors in the Noobs. And now we've had, you know, we've gone from 150 people investing the first time at 25 cents a share to close to a thousand people investing at 50 cents a share this time. So it's been incredible. I think it really transforms how companies can, can raise capital. And I think it, it opens up these deals, you know, where all the value is created at the earliest possible stage. And it opens up that opportunity to everyone, you know, that, how how do guys like Tim Draper become billionaires? You know, they're the ones who had the capital to invest in, uh, you know, SpaceX and Tesla and, and Skype in these deals when they were really early stage. And, you know, now that's an opportunity that's opened up to a lot more people. So I think it's great for, as a game company, it's a great way to, you know, get guys like Matt to, you know, feel invested in, in playing our game and spending money on it. So uh, yeah, it's just a great way to, to build community and raise the capital you need at the same time.
2: That's super cool. I, I have it. a very dumb question that I don't know the answer to. Anyways, you give out, you, you sell shares of your company. How do you determine how many shares you have? Is that just a set number? This I've always wondered this about all companies, all stocks.
0: I don't think that's a dumb question at all. I think that's...
2: right. Do you yeah, have it's... a set number? Is it like crypto coins where there's just a defined? So limit there
1: is. It, so you when have? you form a company, you basically put together a, a document, typically called your operating agreement, and in the operating agreement, you just okay. pick a number and say there are. You know, it's like. Like Michael Scott declaring bankruptcy, right? You're just like, I declare that we have, you know, a million shares in our company. (laughs) Uh, And so, you know, creating that operating agreement, filing that with whatever state, you know, your company is registered in, that is what creates those number of shares. And then to issue more shares, uh, you're board of governance, it's, it's typically, I mean, it's dictated, yes. your operating agreement tells you how you can make more shares. But typically, the board of directors can say, we're authorizing the creation of X number of more shares and you shareholders just have to deal with it. Um, sometimes they're like, yeah, sounds good. Sometimes they're like, we're going to revolt. Sometimes yeah, right. you have no shareholders, so it doesn't matter.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, that, uh, I've always wondered that. It made no sense to me, but that <laughs> makes sense. I guess it makes sense now that there's an answer, but it still it still makes no it doesn't sense. make a ton of sense when you think about it, is. it I guess, you know, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. So you could be like you could kind of be like the Wu-Tang Clan when they came out with that album where they only had one copy. You could start a company and say, hey, we're only going to have one share. And you could just try to sell it for all you <laughs> fucking got, you know. Just be like, "You want this share? Come and fucking get it, bud." <laughs> Not advising it, probably. You, a you absolutely idea, could. But it's but like creating an, could, an right?
1: NFT of one, and and it's exactly like what what Wu Tang did with their album. Yeah, right. yeah, I mean, it's hard right. to it's hard to build community that way if you only have one share. And as soon as I sell it to you, I now own zero shares. Um, <laughs> it's it sounds like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like, all right, you're my boss
1: now, all right, and I'll, I've got plenty of complaints that I would like to file to HR. <laughs> but it would be a, <laughs> Deal with it them. would also be hard to, to raise money on net capital, I think, too, if you were selling. Uh, <laughs> if you were only selling one share, you only had a, a share of one in your company. Maybe you guys should do it. Maybe you know, you take this podcast, form a company around it, and create a single share.
2: <laughs> I think I came in hot last week with a bunch of good ideas. <laughs> this one, I think I've kind of fallen off a cliff this time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you didn't even you didn't even go into detail on in your one idea, so I'm not even convinced it exists. I think you just I think that was a lot of uh, bullshit uh, on your
2: part. You'll see when people are happy everywhere. Construction workers everywhere. What's your creation? I don't, I don't think I heard your creation. Yeah. It, it's that's, that's the a problem. It. All right, I'll tell it. I'll tell it. I'll tell it. That way it's on the air. I fucking thought of it. It's my idea. Utility workers, construction workers in general that switch job sites every day or multiple times a day. They're running around from site to site to site. They can't pee anywhere. There's no good places to pee. You have to stop and do a gas station. You got to do the double door. If you're in the woods, it's cake. No problem. But for example, there was, I know of a guy who got in trouble for pissing in a church parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) Middle of the day got caught, got called out, got in trouble. Uh, my invention is basically, you ever seen like the the hampers, the laundry baskets that yep. just fold up, the collapsible ones that pop up? Yeah. Make that with an empty bottom, nothing on the bottom that just pops up, that's full body length. And then wow. you're in a porta potty essentially. And you just pee in that. You could have a little container with one of those urinal cakes in there. Helps with the smell, whatever. You dump it out at the end of the day. You're done. It doesn't <laughs> help for shits. Not yet. I haven't gotten that far, but it's portable. You collapse it back up, throw in the truck, and you're done. You're moving on. No one is no different than a portable. This sounds no like a hard time about
1: it. This sounds like it's That's collapsible. Really though, like when you first described it, I thought it was like an accordion, like pea bottle, and then you were like, "But you can climb inside of it," and I was like, "Whoa!" Because originally I was like,
2: so, "So imagine there's there's no bottom, right? Yep. So you just stand, step okay. in it, and then you pop it up."
0: right? It's sort of like it a wardroom, so to speak. Like you're not yeah. actually peeing in the device. You're just, no, no, creating no. A- you,
2: I, I was thinking I, it's a lot of work. I'm trying to make it as simple as possible. You can yeah. make like a bladder, you know, a rubber something mm-hmm. bladder that you then have to end empty out every day or whatever that attaches to it or something. But for now, let's just start with, I think the, the next thing, you know?
1: <laughs> so the next step, you got to some concept idea. sketches. I think maybe, maybe I don't always recommend this, but if you can get a patent, I mean, you're golden.
2: That's my thing. That's, there are that's some what investors who will invest
1: in your patent. company just because you have yeah. a patent, or they'll buy your company just because they want to. They want to buy the patent. So if you can, you can come up with some concept sketches. You can submit that and get a patent. Shit, you're going to be cooking right. with gasoline, my friend. Now you can go on.
2: Maybe I'll get. I, all right, I know. I, I'm an AutoCAD guy. I can whip it up in AutoCAD. Maybe get a little. Yeah, and then pawn here, your one chair off. See what on I somewhere. can't do. Yeah. Shit. That's my idea. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, <laughs> man, this is it. You either take the whole thing <laughs> or you take nothing. And it is this not. Cheap. One share
1: <laughs> is worth one billion dollars.
2: <laughs> there we go. So we're combining my shitty idea with my good idea. Making a phenomenal and maybe we'll idea. get something good out of it. <laughs> something decent. <laughs> um, okay. Uh before we get too far off track with my dumb ideas. What? Tell us. I don't think we've gone into enough detail about your games. What games do you have? Kind of. Can anyone play them yet, or can everyone play them yet? And just give us a synopsis of our games
1: are built around these ridiculous alien characters that we've created. It's a a unique and original IP called the Noobs, and the Noobs are. Intellectual property, IP, so like IP, the minions giving, or the aliens from Toy Story, ah. right? So they're just animated characters, and essentially they are these, yep, we got all the, so the trademarks trademark? and, the, and the filings, either, you know, in, in pending wow. or, or issued, awesome. you know, we got all That's that awesome. fun stuff. So, you know, the company owns the IP, okay. and uh, the noobs are these, basically these, these space invaders, these space aliens who just wander around checking out different planets, looking for new places to live. Uh, they really embody what it means to be a noob. So, you know, even though they create all of this wacky sophisticated technology, they don't really know what to do with it. They don't always have clear goals or directions or what they're doing. So they're basically just stumbling through the universe, checking out different planets, basically looking for new places to live. And we have one game that really allows you...
0: This kind of like talk Zim. about Invader
1: Zim no it's okay sorry we talked about invaders Zim a lot in fact we talked about it today in one of our meetings so i was a big fan of invaders Zim. it's actually on netflix if you uh if you're trying to relive the glory days it is
0: oh is it now
1: yeah i, I was i, I love that show growing up
0: no it's okay so but think yeah, of like you I'm know sorry, the minions like,
1: meets invaders yeah, in you know but they're a bunch of noobs and have no idea what they're doing their leader's name is major noob and His basically his superpower is he just makes decisions arbitrarily. And, you know, the noobs are are constantly looking for new things to do. So they just they blindly follow him because he's he's the ideas man. So we've got two games in development. One is called Noobs in Space. We sort of think of that like our version of Angry Birds. And it's basically a really simple single player game where you are the captain of a noob mothership. And you've got a bunch of noob pilots that you're sending out to various planets to check them out and scan them for signs of life. And you basically just, your, your noob pilot will orbit the planet and you just tap on the screen to change directions and dodge incoming asteroids, incoming icicles. We have all sorts of different uh, hazards and, and creatures that you can encounter. And, and that's what it's all about. Just sort of casually zipping around the universe, encountering bizarre creatures, dodging wacky obstacles. And just trying to scan as many planets as possible. So so that's what noobs in space is all about. It's an introduction to the noobiverse and it allows you just to, you know, customize your your noobs, wear crazy outfits, deck out your spaceships, and just fly around having a good time. And then we've got a second game in development.
2: Fun game. I sure. I I'll sure. just chime in real quick while we're on it. I have experience with noobs in space. Great game. You sitting around, you know, just shooting the breeze, kill some time. I'm taking a shit. Love playing that what, game when I'm taking a shit, you know? It's a nice, and that's what fun, we're looking for. easy And that's game.
1: what mobile games yeah. do such a great job of, you know, like people. You got your, your PC, you got your Xbox, you got your PlayStation, right? For when you're really dedicated, hardcore sitting there. And we want to build games that, like, enable you to play that way. But, you, but the beauty of mobile games is that, you know, you can also play them when, you know, you're commuting to work or, you know, you're in the bathroom or, you know, you're sitting in class and trying to pretend like you're paying attention, but you're not really paying attention. Yes. Uh, and so noobs in space, you know, <laughs> and I, I think as you...
2: <laughs> yeah. And,
1: and that's... I'll let you go, Rob. My apologies.
2: Uh, I did it again. I was going to say that's, that's one of those things, though, once you get started... You Know I, by the time I get up, I have you know the jelly legs. I have to get my sea legs back because I've been sitting on the toilet right. now for so long because I just right. And played then you're like, All right, let me go levels. do
1: something productive. You go sit on the couch, you know? and then you're it's like, What are I doing? Oh, yeah, playing that game again, and then you know yeah. that's what it's all about. So that's yeah. <laughs> that's noobs in space. Um, <laughs> exactly. and anyone yeah. uh, who's interested, you can go to our website, zelgore.com, click the early access button, type in your phone number. And we'll text you a link to download Noobs in Space. And we'll also text you a link to download Noob Tubes, which is our second game, which is in development. And that one is a little bit more intricate. There's a little bit more information that you need to have on the noobs to really understand what's going on here. So the noobs, as you may have seen or may not have seen, but they've got these big balloon shaped heads and they're also very absorbent. So what happens is they come in contact with any sort of liquid and they instantly absorb it and their heads inflate. Eventually- they get so top-heavy, they fall over, they can't get back up again. So the way that this species of aliens have evolved is they have created (laughs) uh, these backpacks called noob tubes. If you've ever played Call of Duty, you may have heard the term noob tube before. It's essentially the grenade launcher. uh, And it got that nickname because it's the easiest weapon in the game to get kills with. So it's typically uh, used in, in a similar fashion, like when you're throwing the dice at the fridge playing Risk. Like, oh, this guy's using a noob tube. He's an asshole, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we were like, what if we built an entire <laughs> shooter style game where the only weapon was a noob tube and everyone had a grenade launcher and you were just grenade launching the crap out of each other. <laughs> and that was basically the idea that that helped us come up with the concept of the noobs. We we're like, yeah, we'll create these alien characters. We'll call them noobs. We'll give them noob tubes. That'd be great. So noob tubes is essentially a grenade launcher style. It's really more of like a dodgeball style battle game. But because the noobs have this like spongy sort of skin and they're highly absorbent, they actually launch fruit at each other. So it becomes this like dodgeball style food fight where you've got this like bizarre alien sort of backpack and it's filled with fruit and you're just firing fruit back and forth at each other. So, you know, we think of of noobs in space as our version of Angry Birds and then Noob Tubes is more like our version of Clash Royale or or Clash of Clans or one of those games. Um, And that one, I think, is very, it's got a lot of esports-like potential. It's very spectator-friendly. And our long-term plan is, you know, we want to take that game and and basically make it the way that noobs battle for territories and and how they go about uh, conquering and invading other planets. Um, So that's our our long-term goal is to bring the noob tubes battles to Earth and have people uh, take over the world, much like you would do in Risk, only instead of rolling the dice over and over for you know six hours. Uh, you get to noob tube each other.
0: Awesome. Yeah, so um, you've mentioned, obviously, some of the uh, taking over the world aspects of it. And it sounds a little bit like some of the like Pokemon Go or those other games that are involved that. Is that kind of a direction you're looking to go where people are uh, really getting involved with their local... Locales and taking over, I don't know, like your high school or this like prominent area in your town. Like, is that is that kind of a direction you're trying to take this where it's it's very, very involved with your community, which I think as we've seen with Pokemon Go, it led to it. Yeah, that's always success. been my
1: long-term vision is is building a game like Pokemon Go where, you know, Pokemon Go has this like paper toss like mechanic. I don't know if either of you guys remember paper toss back in the day. It was one of the original iPhone games. Uh, that, that took the world by storm so pokemon go they basically just took you know your gps and then made it so that you could play paper toss to catch pokemon and so you know we want to take that experience and build you know the next evolution of it right where you know the map you're playing on is, is set up like risk so you're taking over places exactly like you said matt you know places like your high school your house uh, and you're taking over those places you know with these noob tube battles so you're building you know, a squad of noobs, you're strapping on the noob tube and, you know, you're going down to Matt's brewery and you're just firing fruit everywhere. So, you know, phase one is, is building the noob tube battles. Uh, and phase two is bringing them to earth and allowing the noobs to start noob tubing, you know, for everything and, and everywhere
2: all at once. That sounds remarkable that, that just the, the, you'll have some really intense things going on out there in real places, you know, people, Losing their cool, more different kind of intensity than the Pokemon Go where people are, you know, walking into fucking statues or something because they're trying to catch (laughs) people, you know, shouting at each other and, and, you know, really getting into it. That's a blast. Oh, I would love to go to Matt's brewery and just kind of sneak attack. So in the early days, (laughs) when
1: we first when Tim first invested, that was like the first thing that we built was our our virtual world of Earth. And even before we had invented, you know, before we created the noobs, before we came up with the concept of these noob tube battles, we just made a version of Earth that you could sort of take over by playing Risk, basically, and we made a bunch of really dumb arcade games. I mean, the, the, the arcade games themselves were, were solid in their own right, but uh, they were just, you know, sort of meaningless uh, arcade games, sort of concept games, and we just sort of plugged them in. We are like, all right, if you want to take over, you know, this territory that your house is in, you know you play this you know this game that we created uh, and and we released that to you know like 2000 or so testers mm-hmm. and it was really fascinating to see what people would do they would start out by taking over places that they cared about you know they'd take over their house or their high school and they used that experience to learn which places in the game were like objectively the most valuable which in our game it was airports because we we did foursquare integration so we just like took the level number of check-ins and we like made that the level of the like, the location, the territory. So all of these people, you know, and we didn't have a lot of people and it, you know, the earth, I don't know if you guys were aware, is very big. Uh, and they, <laughs> people just started running into each other at these airports and, and you know, it, it was all virtual travel. So like my dad would run into, you know, my roommate, Mark Podolsky at, you know, LAX And my dad would show up and and Mark would own it. And he would be like, you know, what the fuck? You know, how how did Mark take this airport from me? So what would happen was, so my dad would take the airport. (laughs) My dad takes the airport from Mark. And, you know, my dad goes to bed or whatever. Mark wakes up. He takes the airport back. And this funny thing happens. My dad wakes up and he's furious. And he's like, who the hell took my airport? It's this Marky Mark guy again. <laughs> so this is what happens. He, he not only does Marky Mark lose, you know, lax, but my dad proceeds to figure out all of the other territories that Mark owns, and just it, it becomes a personal vendetta. And before you know it, like he's taking over Mark's high school and Mark's favorite <laughs> restaurants, and you know he's in Mark's home state. And then my dad would go to bed, and and it would be the same thing all over again. And and it was amazing to see how, like the sentimental attachment <laughs> that you have to places in the real world you know it, it's a great way to learn how to play games but it's also like a powerful <laughs> distraction right like your goal is to take over the world in this game so like you know whether or not you know you own these you know arbitrary locations is largely meaningless but it was like it's like a side quest in a game you know it's like yeah i'm trying to take over the world but what i'm really trying to do right now is just wipe marky mark off the face of the planet uh and so we we saw we saw like the just the rage that <laughs> uh, that people had uh, when losing territories that had sentimental value to them, and we were like, "Wow, that's that's such a a, a powerful thing that we could potentially gamify uh, if we can build this this game in the way that
2: we want to do it." That's incredible. That's so funny. So so they didn't actually physically no, have they to didn't. Be so before did. Pokemon Go
1: came out, it was all virtual travel. You so just, people, the location based game space pre-Pokemon Go was basically considered dead. People had tried to make games where you could physically move around in the real world to play them. But unless you have an IP like the Pokemon IP, that's like going to motivate people, you know, like I said, uh, like our dream when we were 10 was to go be a Pokemon master and Pokemon Go allowed you to to live that dream. So unless you have something Mm -hmm. like such a strong emotional driver to get me to physically walk around outside, you know, I want to play games on my couch. So that was like my sort of founding idea going into the space was I wanted to gamify the real world, but I wanted to enable people to travel virtually. Uh, so you could take over LAX, you could go to Japan, you could go to Cuba, wherever, and you could take over the world from the comfort of your couch. That was like our, our tagline. That was what we wanted to do. So, so that was what made it my dad's ability to track down Mark so impressive was like Mark could have been anywhere in the world. Uh, and he was still able to, they were able to hunt each other down, uh, and attack each other.
2: That is, that is remarkable. That is great. So you can't just search Marky Mark. Yeah, no, he's got a, you know, he's, he's
1: got gotta work so There's it some it real is. thinking there. And, and, you know, there's some, it's, it's risk rules, right? So you can, you know, you, you take over a territory connected to one that you own. So when you find a territory, right. That Marky Mark owns, you know, you know, okay, I can search in this area. I'll probably find some other Marky Mark territories, but it's also the case too once you understand like the rules of the game and what what places are the most valuable you know you start to run into the same people over and over again and so like it started out as a war of two uh, but then more people started playing and more people started figuring out like hey these airports are super valuable and before you know it my dad has like 50 arch nemeses you know in, instead of just one
0: <laughs> <laughs> holy shit I love it I love it I mean just right off the bat like just getting people playing against each other like that is is such a good idea. Um and I'm I mean that instantly makes me more involved than than it would be just playing a random game with no like just like a fake map and stuff. I think that's just that's what make Pokemon Go so great and that's what I think is going to ultimately make your game so great. But I want to go kind of on the other side of things and I just want to hear a little bit about some of the mistakes you feel like you've made and some uh Maybe the wrong decisions so, you've made over time.
2: Lessons yeah, learned.
0: This Lessons is learned. maybe
1: the easiest question I've ever been asked. By far, my biggest mistake <laughs> best back, oh, so back in 2012, you know, like I said, I'm at Draper University. Tim Draper, one of the largest Bitcoin holders in the world. And he's talking to me about Bitcoin this, Bitcoin that, you know, your game should take Bitcoin or the Bitcoin, like literally, his whole world revolved around Bitcoin. And I was just sitting there like a schmuck being like, yeah, like I, I'm kind of skeptical of this whole crypto space. And so if I just bought any amount of Bitcoin back then, I mean, I wouldn't need to be raising any money at all. I would be set. And so, I mean, without question, like I, I should have been taking crypto. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's I a mean, lot of people who could say that. I had that. literally
1: one of the largest advocates in the world for cryptocurrency, just hammering me over the head with it, and I was yeah. just like, like oh, I don't know, like we'll see. And I remember going back to college and and talking to another friend of ours, uh, like, oh, should we like maybe try to mine Bitcoin? Uh, well, it seems too hard. Like, you know, whatever. So just like. Th- All of my thoughts and opinions towards cryptocurrency in the last eight or nine years, I would say, are are probably easily my biggest regret for sure. But recently I've come around. I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of missing the train. I'm now on the crypto, the crypto express. So I'm all in, baby.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. So bottom line, big tagline. Absolutely. Listen to Tim. I think he's easy.
1: saying just Bitcoin's going to gonna be worth 250K a coin by 2023. So there was a time in my life where I would have been like, there's no way. Oh
2: my God. But now
1: I'm like, I've been wrong every step of the way when it comes to crypto. So, you know, why not at this point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I okay. mean, even Doge, Doge was worth like what, like 40 cents a couple of weeks ago. So it's like, you know,
0: that's, I mean, I, I bought Doge at 17 cents and I've made hand over fist on it, just on a $250 investment. It's, it's just fucking bonkers. That shit's fucking crazy.
1: And I guess that's like, you sit back and it's like, damn, I wish I was just like extremely reckless back then, you know, which probably isn't a (laughs) a good thought. But like, I wish there was just something in my brain that was like, you take all your money and, and, you know, buy this cryptocurrency.
2: But. (laughs) Yeah. Dude, take a hundred bucks, you know, Literally. just to think about how much that would be worth now, because that was way that was back in the day, man. That was I and
0: mean, Bitcoin was worth nothing back then, essentially. Yeah. I mean, geez, a hundred bucks would have bought you two hundred coins or whatever. I mean, you'd be, oh my god, it's, it's fucking loaded. Not
2: really, yeah, dude, that's crazy. It is. It but is. Let's- we need to stop. We need to move on. I, I, yeah. don't, I don't. I don't like hearing about it. You know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I'm sorry, I asked the question. One, it was too easy, and. Yeah, but I do have kind of an extension of that. I have I've read some recent articles. I mean, you were uh, you appeared on Yahoo Finance and a couple of other sources. And actually, one that I'm going to hit on right now is uh, your game was de- Noobs in Space. Specifically, it was described as a hyper casual game by this uh, uh, website Globe Globe Newswire. Um, and I'm sure that they source this from somewhere else, but uh, how do you feel about being called a hyper casual game? And I don't even, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that's exactly what noobs in space is going for. And the fact that I've played it and I've had a ton of fun and there's not a lot going on in, with noobs in space that you have to do, but it's, it, it makes it just so much fun, where it's just so easy, like Rob said, to play on the toilet or just when you're just yeah, it's, around I, doing I don't whatever. shy
1: away from the hyper casual tag at all. I think that's exactly what Noobs in Space is. Like you just said, it's a, a game that you know you can you know sort of get into and play casually, and you know you can also sort of lose yourself in it and play it a little bit more competitively. And you know it's primarily a single player game, but we also have this deep space mode where you can you know compete against the global community of players and try to get you know, as far into deep space as possible. And, you know, we've talked about adding, you know, versions of that where you can challenge your friends and, and race against each other through space. So, yeah, I, you know, I don't think necessarily that, you know, all of the games we we make forever will be hyper casual, but I I certainly think that it applies to Noobs in Space for sure.
0: Yeah. Um. So then like going on to this Yahoo Finance article from just earlier this year, January 18th, 2021, it came out. Um, You guys are starting to attract some real talent in the field. And uh, this article mentions Spencer Bramson. And I know there's been some others that I'm sure you can highlight um, upcoming on your answer. But how have you gotten some of these bigger players in the video game landscape and just in general? Because, I mean, I'm sure I know that Spencer was leaving a larger company and coming to this small company and just latching on? Like, what do you offer them that is enticing for them to leave what may seem to many like a more secure job?
1: You know, what I hope we have to offer them is, you know, the opportunity for them to feel like, you know, their voices are being heard, like they can make meaningful contributions to what we're doing. You know, they can work on what they want to work on, what they're inspired to work on. Uh, and they feel like they can, you know, be in control of their lives. You know, a, a lot of these guys have been, uh, you know, worked on massively successful games or, you know, have have worked, you know, for these, you know, Fortune 500 companies. And in those experiences, you know, it's mostly you're being told what to do and, and and when to be there. And, you know, you don't have a lot of opportunities to have a lot of creative input on what it is you're working on or and in a lot of ways, you know, you're forced to work on things They, you know, you feel like you sort of have to do that you don't necessarily want to do. So, you know, my ability to just enable these people to, you know, Mm -hmm. work on work on these projects in a way uh, that they feel like they're contributing, that they're bringing value, that, you know, their ideas and opinions are being heard and and they're working on the parts of the game that they enjoy, that they love, that they want to work on. Uh, and they're doing it in a way where, like I said, they feel like they have control over their lives. You know, I don't, you know, I'm not making sure that they're clocking in or or clocking out, you know, I'm not policing, uh, you know, time off or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, just trying to, you know, give these people the opportunity to, to come together and work on something that's, you know, fun and, and exciting. And the other thing too, is that, you know, these guys come from, you know, the console world and building PC games and things like that. And it's like, you know, building a mobile game in a lot of ways is a lot simpler. It's a lot smaller. It's a lot easier compared to what these guys, you know, have built their careers doing. So I think that enables them to focus more on how can we make this something fun and, and less on like, I'm just going to sit here and, and grind away and, and, and build servers and things like that. So, uh, you know, you'd have to ask each person individually, but in general, I think that, you know, that's sort of what I, I hope the value that, that we bring to them.
0: Are there any people you would like to highlight as being, uh, especially influential to, uh, your growth
1: people I'd like to highlight as being influential to my growth. That is a, a strange question. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, in terms of people on our team who have, <laughs> it was, it was much really harder. Yes. State question. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> obviously, like you said, Spencer has been great, uh, his experience in you know working with Fortune 500 companies, Procter and Gamble, and all these consumer goods, uh, you know, it's great to have somebody in these conversations when we're talking about building games who has that sort of mindset and is like, hey, you know, remember, you know, we need to be able to have these types of conversations with these types of brands. Uh, you know, Will Teixeira is our, our lead engineer we brought on. He's been incredible. We call him our chief mad scientist. He uh, just like w- whip things up in you know, the, the unity engine, which is what we used to build our games (laughs) incredibly quickly. And, you know, he used to lead an entire team of engineers at his previous job and they were building games for PC and PlayStation and Xbox. So, uh, you know, now it's a much smaller team where there's a lot less, you know, things that you got to worry about on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, we can just sort of enable him to to work on the things that he wants to work on and, uh, and the things that sort of inspire him. Uh, and then Andres Gonzalez, He's our, our lead designer on Noobs in Space. He's the one, you know, designing all of these different planets that you're zipping around. Uh, and he was the lead combat designer on a game called Bioshock Infinite, uh, which sold millions of copies, won all sorts of awards. So people who have, oh. you know, a lot more experience, yeah. you know, building massively wow. successful games than I have. Uh, and, you know, Phil Fodre, our our chief product officer, he's worked on The Sims, The Incredible Hulk. Uh, he worked on Dungeons & Dragons Online uh, with Will. Uh, you know These guys have all uh, been uh, incredibly successful in their career working on major titles. Uh, and I just learned so much from them about what it takes to build a game. Um, but then we also have a team of amazing artists as well. Uh, our art director, Joy Sang, our lead concept artist, Monica Oh. And uh, we just brought on uh, a UI artist as well uh, named Suzanne uh, Geary. and. The art that they create and the way that they're able to bring the IP to life, I think, really above all else, is what enabled us to get so many people to invest. So, you know, you've got these guys with, uh, you know, experience—sort of the traditional experience that investors look for—that help make people feel comfortable in the game. Uh, but it's really our art team that you know has the the talent, and 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 that's what I think really shines through in our products. Uh, that really gets people excited. Uh, and emotionally uh connected to what we're doing uh so it's really you know everyone on our team i think is you know contributes tremendously to what we're doing and and helps take what we're doing to the next level and uh you know my job every day is to to show up uh and and try to contribute any value whatsoever to this team of of amazing people who are working on this <laughs>
2: Well, you navigated that question with with poise and grace, and you did a hell of a job. That was uh, that was a big, that was a tough one there.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Rob. I
0: appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't really, I didn't mean it as a tough question. I well, I wasn't, I wasn't, you whatever, know, you, know, f- you know. Fuck it. Like, I'm not I here to sure ask you the like, basic oh, ask questions.
2: It wasn't in the notes. <laughs> I wasn't either. sure if it was like, I didn't oh, see it coming. You know,
1: talk about like the people on your team who are helping grow it. Talk about, you know, people who've inspired you. You know, there's just a lot of different ways to interpret that question. So that was, that's what sort of threw me for a second. Yeah. Right.
0: No. I mean, that's kind of why I word it that way. I just want to, I mean, I'm just very intrigued with your thoughts because I mean, I, it, it's very clear that you're an intelligent individual who has a lot of stuff figured out. Um, as far as this goes and I'm I'm really impressed honestly with the people you've attracted because I've I have kept tabs on that and I've looked into a lot of these people that you have gotten in Zelgorn. and I just think that's that's really cool um, but you kind of mentioned just on your answer there about being the boss and just trying to bring something to the table. And like, what do you think the best and worst things about being your own boss are and where have you brought the value and where do you think your shortcomings are and how have you tried to mitigate
1: those? In terms of like the best thing about being your own boss, it's definitely, you know, you get to, you know, work whatever hours you want. You get to make all the rules, right? You get to sort of build the culture. Uh, and and that's really, I think, part of the value that I try to create is in building the culture, bringing people into the company who I think will fit what we're trying to do. Uh, and that's really the most fun part for me is just working with the people on our team every day, you know, building the game, building the IP uh, and just being a part of these conversations, which are, you know, inherently extremely ridiculous uh, and a tremendous amount of fun. Uh, and so... So that's sort of the best part uh, (laughs) about, you know, being the boss and, and running the company. The worst part, though, is that you just feel absolutely terrible anytime you take any time off whatsoever, right? So you think, oh, you're the boss, like I can go on vacation whenever you want, right? It's like, oh, it's, you know, whatever holiday, like I'm just gonna take this day off. But as the CEO, and especially, you know, at the early stage, like now, you know, we have enough people in the company where if I don't do anything for like 15 minutes, it's not like the entire company like comes to a screeching halt. Uh, but just like anytime you take any time off at all, you're just like, Oh, I should really be working right now. I should really be doing something more productive. Uh, so that's probably, uh, the worst part about being the boss for
2: sure. Yeah. Oh, John, I, I, I'm going to say, I'm not just tooting your horn here. (laughs) I've known you now for a few years. I'm very proud of that. Um, You're probably one of the first people that would come to mind if I had to pick someone to organize an enjoyable culture that is obviously has to be productive, but again, is pleasant and makes people want to show up and continue to do things and work hard. Obviously, you're a charismatic guy, hysterical, like Matt said. Well, that's really. You know, uh, which which could have fooled me me a few years back, is to to fool
1: people (laughs) into thinking that I know what I'm doing and that I'm a smart individual.
2: Uh, uh, (laughs) Right here. You got me. (laughs) But it's super cool what you're doing. It's awesome. I I try to talk about whenever I can and and tell people about it because it I'm not fucking involved at all but nevertheless i feel proud to just know someone who is well doing i this, appreciate
1: and it cool and i think what I you think. guys are doing is amazing because i grew up in boston which is like the sports talk radio capital uh, of the country you know in my unbiased uh, opinion and so <laughs> uh, so i grew up yeah, you know a huge course. sports fan you know listening to sports talk radio and like always you know a part of me wanted to to do that as a career is just you know get on the mic and and spit out hot takes so uh, it takes uh, a tremendous amount of courage and bravery to uh, to get on camera especially and to do what you guys are doing so uh, I am equally as envious of, of you guys putting yourselves out there and doing this
2: <laughs> we don't get paid for this
1: not yet not yet exactly. not I, yet don't, I spent you know. many many years well, not getting paid uh, yeah. to do what I'm yeah. doing so
2: yeah excellent point hell of a point
0: yeah i mean i think i have a lot of those same interests i was a big radio fan in chicago where i was listening to sports radio all the time and i what actually got me really into wanting to have a podcast was a boston radio host kirk minahan who has uh currently has a podcast on uh barstool sports and like that's uh really been an influence to me so it's kind of just it's just kind of funny how we've crossed paths there's in a weird way and hopefully our success yeah let me years, just say Minahan was
1: horrible he was it was absolutely i mean <laughs> one of those guys that made you just want to scream at your radio i mean we i mean you guys know you guys are sports fans i mean we were like you know 20 years in an unprecedented run of dominance and kirk just gets on the radio every day complaining and oh the sky the sky was falling every day the sky would not have been falling every <laughs> single day and and yet with kirk it, like everything was on the verge of collapse <laughs> every single day in boston sports but he's yeah,
2: yeah. and that's matt's idol
0: well matt's a chicago <laughs> yeah, fan kidding. so
1: i feel like that's a more appropriate mindset you know when the bulls are trading multiple firsts for Vucevic
0: absolutely oh that's (laughs) yeah we don't have to get into that that was that's that's clearly been i i'm just looking
1: forward to the off season where you guys trade Um, vucevic to the celtics for nothing where you're like this is a horrible idea we're we're gonna reverse the trade we're just gonna completely backpedal and and we're just gonna sell vucevic for pennies on the dollar i'm excited for that moment
2: you're going to get Danny Ainge's Chipotle yep. loyalty card Very <laughs> and a slew of second round Very picks valuable. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> yes. And even the cap, whatever that takes, <sighs> even the cap.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I don't want to keep you on here too long, John. I know you're obviously a busy guy and you've got things to do and, uh, everything that you are welcome to stay on as we kind of, hit some last minute topics before we finish this thing up. But I just want to like, just right now is tell you, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I don't think it, I, I've learned a lot about you and your company. Yeah, thanks and for having I me really on. I'm going to jump it. off
1: here now, just because this has taken a lot more time than I thought that it would. So I've got to get back to, uh, you know, keeping the company afloat, but I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, obviously big fans, uh, both of you guys and, uh, yeah, just appreciate you guys taking the time and, and giving me so much of your time to talk about the nonsense of, of my daily life.
2: (laughs) Oh, I think we, I think I speak for us both when I say we loved it. We loved it before you go though. I'm not gonna let y'all fuck just yet. I'll be very quick. I had a whole bunch of rapid fire questions I wanted to ask you based on what you spoke about earlier. I'll just hit you with like two of them. You mentioned, you played Halo and Call of Duty no, growing up. Pick easy.
1: One. What easy are you? Halo, Halo guy or COD? I'm somebody.
2: <laughs> okay. That's wrong. Wrong. Next question. <laughs> uh, first song you download. You have a very intimate relationship with Napster. First song you download on Napster. Yep, do you remember it what it was, was? I remember my uh, first song.
1: Money for nothing. Dire Straits. And it, it, was, uh, wow, it was because nice. my grandfather told nice. me to download it. I had never heard it before, but I'm a big fan of the song now.
2: Awesome choice. Yeah, hell yeah! Oh, Mine,
0: totally uh, who's
1: fat? I, Weird Al Yankovic.
0: We were probably <laughs> we're
1: downloading done. the same files we're from done. each other then, because I downloaded plenty of Weird Al. Yeah. <laughs> what was what was your? Had to be. I'm going to fire a, a question back to you. What was no. your first Weird Al song? Do you remember? Who's fat? Oh, there you go. You're right. Yeah. Not who's fat when? Yeah. You know, who's fat when the guest isn't who's listening? Fat? Yeah. For me, it was the night Santa went crazy. That was my first Weird Al song. <laughs> Matt, were you a Weird Al fan?
2: Oh wow. Wow! Oh, there's so many good choices. Yeah,
0: I was a definitely a Weird Al fan. I ha- used to have a Weird Al CD that I oh, got for yeah. Christmas one year. So I'm, I love parody songs and have also thought about trying to do some of those in my free time that I have not quite come together on.
2: Well, I can help you with some lyrics.
0: Well, yeah, we'll workshop it. Give Give me one more of your questions, Rob. I'll, I, these quickfire ones have been pretty. Pretty amazing. Those,
2: were the, those were the best quick fire ones. The rest were just kind of the, more. Okay, other than Pokemon, favorite, favorite game, game, Boy game Boy
1: game other than Pokemon.
0: I'll allow you to think right quick because I have a quick answer. Sports Illustrated had this football game on Game Boy Advance, and that thing was fucking fire. You could upgrade your characters like slowly throughout the game, but you would get to the point. Where your all of your people were way faster than the other ones, and it would just make for a hilarious gameplay. <laughs> and that was it was a fun little game. It if was you're, a fun game. If was that like was your favorite, favorite game, game you
1: should download Retro Bowl. <laughs> it has. It sounds like Oh, I play Oh, Retro
0: Bowl's tight. Yeah. I have Retro-Bull's lost
1: way too many hours to Retro Bowl. But I used to play uh this other this other game. <laughs> I, I moved on, you know, as I got older and, and more mature, I graduated, or I never really graduated from Pokemon, but I also became a huge Yu-Gi-Oh fan, so that I, there was a, a Yu-Gi-Oh card game <laughs> that I played on my Game Boy uh, a, ter- a tremendous amount as well. Oh, wow. So Those were the two Game Boy games that that I wore out yeah. the, the buttons on.
2: Okay, that's good. That's good. I like it. I like hearing it. Awesome.
0: Well, get out of here, John. We don't want to. We're yeah. we've taken up way too much of your time. You've been so generous. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Once again, just thank you so, so much. Happy to be John, here. So I appreciate
1: you so uh, Best of luck with the rest of the show.
0: Thank you so much.
2: Oh yeah, we'll fuck it up from here, don't worry.
0: Yeah, this is all downhill from here if you're still listening <laughs> like you're not getting anything great. Um but yeah, I mean that was obviously a great interview with John. That was a ton of fun. But let's get into a little bit of our news. Um just wanna hit this right off the top. Rob's laptop is a fucking mess.
2: I it's on its last legs, I had my laptop. I don't think we've mentioned this on here. I've had my laptop since you and I were in school together. I bought it our mm-hmm. senior year, and it, that was years ago six years ago now it's maybe six years old at least a little over six I think and it, it it's been through the ringer, but it's really starting to go I, how many times I've been late for our recordings it's every time since we've come back in- since we've come back,
0: yeah. It's I mean, it's as and it hasn't been egregious. Today was the worst because me and John were just on the horn and I'm just like, wow, I'm taking this guy's fucking time. And he's obviously (laughs) he told me beforehand he's got something to do. And I was like, you didn't tell me that. You didn't tell Uh, me. Well, I didn't know that with me. You didn't check in with me until 752. I know. I know. I know. You know,
2: my laptop needs 15 minutes to warm up.
0: I know I, um, I I'm not saying that I'm without fault here but it was I'm just saying that those like we had a good ch- chat just about uh our own personal lives and stuff like that but it was it was fucking I felt so bad I felt so bad I can't believe he gave us as much time as he did are we recording yeah are you sure it says finished where up top the one with John
2: finished I don't have that top of the screen the one with John it says finished
0: i don't i it's it doesn't say finish on my screen and we're still recording
2: okay Uh, let's let's move on i just wanted to make sure you know i'm worried it 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 looks
0: good on my i do not have what you have if uh (laughs) hopefully it's not and if this all didn't record i will probably fucking cry and i mean because i will cry too i'll cry with you i'll cry with you that'd be fucking Um, brutal
2: on the plus side, my laptop, it doesn't start. I press start anyways, just a brief description of my issue in case there's any techies out there that can help me. I push the start button and it's just hung up. It's like it can't. It's like a engine that won't turn yeah, over. You it need to get a new alternator. and it just There's one light that's blinking like it's trying to do it, but it won't hit that screen to get everything running. And it just takes time. It takes today. It took 20 minutes
0: legitimately 20 minutes that's crazy this yeah. like living in 2004
2: it's nuts i gotta get something but i really don't want to fucking spend the money i know they're so uh,
0: expensive
2: i know it's such a commitment and you would think like six years and laptop years is pretty long but like i don't want to fucking do that every six years be dropping a couple thousand dollars whatever the hell it calls for a good laptop nowadays i know on the plus side I have fixed what I believe to be an issue with my microphone. (laughs) Last week I was bragging about how you bought us new mics and we got some feedback. Yeah, we got some feedback that you sounded great. I sounded possibly worse than ever, (laughs) possibly worse than ever. And I, I plugged in today. I was I was self-conscious about. It. I was thinking about it. I plugged in today, had the microphone hooked up again. It was set as the default microphone, same as last week. Except I noticed the switch was off. <laughs> the switch was in the off position the whole time. The mic was not on. So I don't know what's been picking up my voice. I have no idea what's been I, picking it
0: up. I don't know either. That is but I'm back and I, I pray that the, my sound quality is improved. I think you sound a lot better. I think you sound a lot better. What doesn't look better is your golf game. Tell me a little bit about that.
2: No, it doesn't. Weather's nice. Beautiful day here in Knoxville. 85. We're in mid eighties today. Fucking great. Uh, this past weekend, really since maybe last Friday, today is Tuesday. I've gone to the driving range four times. Uh, the first two times I was electric. I was smooth, just smooth flush shots. I went Sunday and I was, a step off, but still fine. And today it was just a fucking train wreck, and that's the problem. I don't know what I'm doing different, and I hate when that happens because I try to do the same thing, and I'm just hitting fucking duds, just fucking oh. darts into the ground. Shit's going right. I don't miss right. It sucks. I miss left. I'm a
0: driver. You know what's the worst about that is when you have got you have some guy to the right or left of you just hitting lasers every time too, and you're so far deep in your head. That's where I don't understand how you can play on the PGA tour. Cause I would be so deep in my own brain where I would just, I would lose it. I would break like six clubs a fucking match. If I was playing on the PGA tour, it'd be fucking brutal. It is brutal. You ever break a club? I have not knock on wood, big knock on wood there, but I have not, I broke a club,
2: snapped it right over my leg.
0: Oh, I like could totally see it
2: striking out. I mean, snapped I have,
0: I have definitely slammed a cub in club into the ground and put the total face just into the <laughs> earth and like have to wipe it off and people look at me i'm just like no i'm good don't worry it's fine uh but i've i've not yet broken a club but i definitely see that day coming sooner i don't recommend later it. i don't want to do it it'll fucking reach and although it is that funny, shit.
2: it makes it makes because everyone whoever you're with thinks it's hysterical yeah so then you laugh about it you know so later it, it, it on You know, even in the moment, I was like, "Jesus, that was ridiculous. I'm an idiot." You know, and you're already having a fun time again.
0: Yeah, no, you're out in a golf range or golf course. You're just you're just trying to have a good time. I do hate about the range that fucking fake grass. Trying to hit this real grass. Ooh, wow. Because like the the turf sucks. The turf sucks because you're trying to take like you know when you're hitting, you're trying to take a little bit of a divot. You're trying to hit the ball yes. on your downswing yeah. to get that perfect swing but you don't get that feedback the on feedback. the fake It's turf.
2: exactly right and you might be doing it but you don't know but you, you don't are. know and
0: then those shots come out like ass and you're just like fuck i fucking suck at this game like it's so yes. frustrating and you come out of the range feeling a million percent worse but you might have actually been like fucking <laughs> striking the ball perfectly
2: yeah yeah that's the thing that there are so many times when i leave the range feeling worse than when i got there (laughs) yeah it's so counterintuitive like why do i ever even go if i just go straight to the course don't think about shit i'll do fine i'll do okay Mm -hmm. that's the best i can do and if i go to the range you're right it's all mental and it all goes downhill very quickly
0: yeah it's it's tough it's tough um yeah any any last minute thoughts you got rattling around your brain before we uh we close this this thing up
2: not real i mean I've always got stuff nothing nothing major first day back at the gym today oh that, I did it. that is something yeah I did it I went it felt good it what'd felt you good. what'd you work
0: on what'd you work on
2: Oh, I just did a little, I did one of every body part. I hit one of every body part to get the <laughs> muscles back. Yeah. I don't want to overtax. I'll be fucking dead if I did any more, like tomorrow, next two days. So I just wanted to give a little reintroduction, you know, hit them all, hit them quick. It was just, a, it was an intro. Was an intro meetings, in and out. Good. But I did well, hit the sauna, and I love the fucking sauna.
0: I know you're a big sauna guy.
2: Oh, I, it's yes. so good.
0: Sauna is really so
2: good. I took my shoes and socks off, which I don't usually do. I really wanted to enjoy the experience.
0: Yeah. Just get all the way back there and just oh, enjoy yeah. it. So what level of open were the gyms? Is it like full go or was It's there been what? full go, which is why I did
2: not go. I hadn't yeah. been in probably six or seven months uh, because back then it was really bad. We're in the kind of peak of it. The gym was still open, mm-hmm. which was surprising, but That's everyone nuts. was wearing masks, which is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But now since then, people stopped. They just stopped. They stopped caring at the front desk. No one cared. So I was like, okay, I can't be here anymore. But now, one, I'm fully vaccinated as of yesterday morning. I got two weeks after my second shot. Congrats! And so, yeah, big, big day. And and then, two, the case counts, I check them all the time, are so low here that both of those things combined, I felt comfortable enough going, so I fucking went.
0: Nice. Well, good. But they're full bore.
2: They never stopped, ever.
0: That's... That's nuts to me. I mean, that's just yeah. living in it's Tennessee, nothing- I guess. I mean, uh, it's, yeah, it's certainly not the smartest thing. No. No. All right, well, there are some other stories we could hit, but we talked just so long with John, and it was a great conversation. I mean i i couldn't I couldn't be happy right now. I am on cloud fucking nine after speaking with him. Just hearing his ideas and everything like that. That was uh, a hell of a talk. So the
2: Draper university stuff was so fascinating. Yeah. And it's
0: especially
2: funny because we had no idea that neither of us had a clue. We both looking at each each other. uh, (laughs)
0: What the fuck? was like is this a joke like we were
2: legitimately like yeah. is this a joke
0: <laughs> no i had no idea. i had absolutely no idea i was like should i know about this like and then hearing how big of a deal it was was yeah. so cool yeah no i think that that's a big takeaway of it and i'll probably release just the interview uh well on youtube i'm gonna release just the interview portion on YouTube. So if you just want to listen to that, visit our YouTube page. We've got clips on there. We've got highlights. We've got lowlights. All of that stuff. Of course, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, where we also post clips and just other quips and little random arguments that I get into with uh mostly conservative assholes on Twitter. Um, and yeah, just you know, rate us five stars, give us a follow, just engage with us, you know, tell us what you want to hear about, give us story ideas, whatever you want. I mean, we're, we're people of the people, you know, would you agree with that, Rob?
2: We try to be, I'm absolutely on board. Give us a one if you want, fucking rate us, give us some feedback.
0: maybe. Yeah. You don't have to rate us five stars. You don't feel like we're a five-star podcast but we're trying to get there. It's a growth, it's a growth game.
2: If you give us less than five stars, give us a
0: comment. Yeah. Give us a reason why. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay with it you can't just give us one star and then just be like, I'm out just one star. Like that's a fucking asshole move. Don't be a fucking asshole about it. We want to hear about it. Um, but yeah, today was obviously a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you next week. This has been another week with.